from a separate felt bag that her mother had also sewn for him one Christmas before she died. He pulled the dull black and white pieces. He arranged them mindlessly on the board and asked Hensley if she would please fetch the sack of walnuts he'd bought for the occasion. She went to the kitchen and removed the sterling nutcracker that her parents had received as a wedding gift some twenty years before and noted how tarnished it was. Her mother would not approve. Sighing, she wrapped her hand around it and found the bag of walnuts in her father's briefcase. Placing both on the dining room table, she kissed her father's cheek as he set the black queen in her place and bid him good luck. Smiling at her briefly, he took his voice to a faux formal tone and said, Thank you, daughter, but there is no such thing in chess. Smiling, she said, Then, think well, father. And you, will your activity require luck? Hensley thought for a moment, wondering if any other girl was subjected to such a line of questioning. It's an audition, Daddy. Yes, I will need a good deal of luck, for it is not an objective endeavor, like your game. The casting of parts is a subjective decision made by the director, of whom I know absolutely nothing. So the soliloquy I've prepared may be one that he detests. It may be that his poor heart has been broken, and he cannot stand Tennyson. Which one? If I were loved, as I desire to be. Her father nodded as he closed his eyes. What is there in the great sphere of the earth and range of evil between death and birth that I should fear if I were loved by thee? Of course you know it. Why, of course. Because you know everything, Daddy. You probably already know whether or not I'll get the part. He looked amused. Yes, in fact, I do. With that poem, I've never known anyone to be rejected. Hensley raised her eyebrows. Really? Do tell, she said as she pulled on her gloves. It was one of your mother's favorites. One of our favorites. Hensley nodded. She'd known this, of course. It had been her mother who'd first recited it for her when she was just a girl but she'd wondered if her father remembered. Now she knew. So, wish me luck, she said, putting on her hat. I will only wish that the director recognizes the bounty of talent you possess. I should be back by seven. Marie and I will walk together. He nodded, satisfied with this exchange. But please, do be quiet as you enter. She knew his opponent, Mr. Wern, would arrive within the half hour, and after a limited conversation, the apartment would become a hushed sanctuary. The sewing machine, the guitar, the sound of her feet crossing the floor were all considered too loud. A chess player's concentration was a sacred thing, perhaps the only sacred thing in the world. And who was she to deny him this respite from his daily work, which increasingly produced a furrowed brow, fraught words, and tense coughs. Her father didn't trust Wilson or the rhetoric that had become his foreign policy. He was worried that it was only a matter of time before the United States joined the butchery overseas.
She had not always been so understanding of his habits. When she was eleven and twelve and thirteen, Hensley had spent most of the time sullen and angry at his archaic inclinations. She would slam doors to accentuate her silent voice, stomp her feet when he addressed her as daughter. She missed her mother and wanted an embrace, a smile, warmth without humor. Her brother, away at boarding school, had been no help at all. If anything, on his visits home, he highlighted her isolation by going out every night with his own friends. On her fourteenth birthday, her father had looked at her earnestly. Is it a happy birthday? he'd asked. She did not reply. She wanted to scream at him, to ask him why.